You see, we have to do that every day of our lives. We have issues and challenges that always want to cloud what God has done. Always want to crowd us out. But you see, we shouldn't let those issues do that to us. We must remember. You see, we have a holy God. He's delivered us. He's redeemed us. This morning, we'll go on a very short journey. Can we um, look at the word in Ruth? We'll start with Ruth. You see, God is revealed in every book of the Bible. In the book of Ruth, we see him as our kingsman, redeemer. God Almighty. Let's look at Ruth chapter 1. We'll just do a brief history and then we'll come to certain things that we need to look at carefully. So if we go to Ruth chapter 1, and we'll start from verse 1 to 20. Chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I'm going. I'm go- Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud. Then Opa kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, 
can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life better. We shall stop this there for now. You see, she was looking at her situation and her circumstance and saying, surely this is bad. So when people were calling her Naomi, she said to them, don't call me that. Call me Mara. She called herself something else that God hadn't called her. She was accepting the challenge, the issues that she had gone through. It's interesting how God, sometimes you think God isn't speaking, but all the while he's orchestrating things. They moved from Bethlehem, which is the land of bread, where there was supposed to be abundance. There was supposed to be food, plenty, because there was a famine in that particular land and went to Moab. The enemies of Israel at a certain point, they stayed with them, married into that, and at the appointed time, they had to come back because the famine had left Israel. They came back, and Naomi still saw the difficulty that she had been through. She had lost her, her husband, her sons, yes, and she had moved to Moab. I'm sure she didn't like any of those, but she didn't let go, held on to the issues, the challenges, and said, don't call me that. My name is actually this. I am bitter. I'm angry. I'm angry at God. I'm angry at situations. I'm angry with everybody. So call me the angry one. That's what she was saying here. Didn't see that this was the opportunity for a new beginning. Rather looking at the old. God had begun a new thing. And you can see it's the same thing that God did with Christ. Interesting. This same thing. Ruth, who happened to be the daughter-in-law of Naomi, now became the path, the branch through which our Christ came. That which had been rejected, the people of Moab, the Moabites were despised. They were not particularly liked by the Israelites. Yet, God used these same people as the root. Ruth, and then Ruth married Boaz. We shall come to that in a minute. Before Ruth could marry Boaz, there were certain things that had to be done. Just as Christ has come into the world, or Christ gave himself up for us. Christ is the only one who can be our kinsman redeemer. For every sinner in this world, Christ is the only one who can redeem us. He qualifies based on a number of items which I'll go through now. Christ qualifies to be our redeemer. In the same way, Boaz qualified to redeem Ruth and Naomi from their predicament. And he qualified by virtue of the fact that they were re- he was related to her, her husband, the husband of um, Naomi. We'll, we'll read that in a second. Let me get this one out. If we turn to Ruth chapter 2, we'll look at, we'll, emphasis will be on verses 2 and 3. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go. When they came, let me backtrack. When they came, she went into the field, interestingly, orchestrated, I believe, of Boaz. She could have gone into any field at all, but she went directly into the field of Boaz. That's not coincidence for me. That cannot be coincidence. She went into his field, and here we see Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose field, in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out entered the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, 
she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. That's not coincidence. I don't believe it. That must have been a divine appointment. Most certainly. It wasn't coincidence. If we look again, if we go down further. Verse 5, we jump to verse 5. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young, young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? See, if God is with you, if God is for you, he orchestrates things to favor you, to work in your favor. No matter the challenges and difficulties, the issues around, he always operates in such a way that things just fall into place. Boaz didn't have to do this. Ruth could have gone to any field, but by divine appointment, she landed in the field, the farm of Boaz. Boaz noticed her. He didn't have to. He noticed her and gave instruction. Instruction asking her to drink and to glean and actually asking his farmhands to deliberately leave behind some grain for her so she would get a lot. That's favor. When God is in our lives, that's what he does. He orchestrates things to work for us. This is a blessing. I call this a blessing. I don't know what you call it, but to me, this is a blessing. And I see God's hand in it. Clearly, there's nothing else See, um, let's, we'll be doing a bit of reading, reading, so please bear with me as we go through. But it's, it's, all, it's all for our good. If we look again at Ruth chapter 3, verse 12. It says here, Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. I'll give you a brief background of this. Now, Ruth and Boaz, there was something building up. And it became clear to Boaz that perhaps he had to take Ruth in. And he couldn't do that because he felt he wasn't qualified. That's why it says here in this verse, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. More closely related to who? To Elimelech, whose son Ruth married. In those days, it's interesting, when your husband died, I think your husband's brother, or they could marry you as well and so on and so forth. Right? So he felt, and that was a, a class as a sort of form of redemption. Redeemed, that's redeemed by the king's man, your king's man. So um, Boaz happened to be the king's man of Elimelech. Who is a king's man? 
my understanding of this is purely this a relative, somebody who could actually stand in place of the actual person. So a substitute, which is what Christ is for us. He became a substitute for our sin, which is why he could redeem us. In the same way, Boaz, he said here that there was somebody closer who actually had more rights than him, who was more qualified than him, but the person was not interested. Turn that down. Rather than read it, I'll just summarize. The person turned it down. So Boaz stepped in and said, okay, if the one is not going to do it, then he would be prepared to do it. He was the nearest kingsman apart from that person. And therefore, he was able to redeem her by doing this, by paying the price of redemption. If we look in, um, again, we tend to Ruth. Let's go to, let me pick it up from here. Chapter 4, verse 4. Let's go to verse 4. Okay, if we look at Ruth, chapter 4, verse 4, we see there, he says, I thought I should bring the matter to you. That's he, he took the matter to the elders of the clan. And he says here in verse 4 that I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so, I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. So he was referring to the one who was more qualified than him in front of elders. So he had to have witnesses saying that I actually brought this matter to the clan and gave him the opportunity to redeem and he turned it down. Therefore, I will redeem it. Then he says here in verse 5, as I continue down, then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So that gave him the authority. He became the redeemer. So he redeemed that family and married Ruth. To be a redeemer, there are four things that you must be able to do. If we look in Ruth, sorry, I'm taking you backwards and forwards, but that's all good. Ruth chapter 3. Let's look at verses 12 to 13. Ruth 3, 12 to 13. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there's another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So he was qualified because of his relationship in the clan. Now, a redeemer, a kingsman redeemer, must also be able to redeem. He must be capable of redeeming you. If we look at Ruth chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabites, Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. 
At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So he must be capable of redeeming. He must, then to be a kingsman redeemer, you must be willing. So again, after verse 6, we see that Boaz said he was willing to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Then Again, the, re- the redemption must be complete by paying the full price. He purchased what belonged to Elimelech, took it over, and he took Ruth as wife. So that was the full price. He paid it all. And in this sense, that was a physical. He was wealthy enough to be able to pay. But you see, we, we can measure this or we can liken this to the work of Christ. Christ is our redeemer, the redeemer of every single human being who has been born. And Christ is able to do this. If we look at Exodus, we're going on a journey today. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 6. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So that's the Lord te- telling us clearly there that He's our Redeemer and what He will do to redeem us. I'll jump again. Isaiah 43. Again, we see there. Isaiah 43. Verse 1, but now this is what the Lord says, he who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. So we become his in us and when he redeems us. Again, quite a few scripture references. Bear with me. Romans chapter 8. We look at 3 to 4, Romans 8. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So we see there again clearly. Then the last one I want to read for us will be in Philippians chapter 2. And we look at 7 to 8. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's the price he paid for us. Christ, our Redeemer. He had the power to redeem. That power came through, if we look at 2 Corinthians, we can see how he had the power to redeem. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Corinthians 8 verse 9 for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor 
so that through his poverty might become rich. Rich so that he would have that. So through his rich, he became poor so that he could redeem us with his riches, granting us. You see, it says that, let the poor say, I am rich. Why can we say we are rich? Because Christ has exchanged. He's given us his richness. So that's what he's done for us. Christ, our redeemer. He took over our debt. And that debt became, came across because of our sinful nature. And exchanged it for his wealth. For his riches. Let's look at Hebrews 1. Hebrews chapter 1. to three. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir to all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the of the majesty in heaven. So again, exchange, purification. He provided purification for all of our sins. So he had that power, that ability, the capability to redeem us. And we need also, we talked about being able to, then again, we can look at him being willing to redeem us. We can look at Titus, Titus chapter 2. We're going on a journey today. Titus chapter 2. And verse 14, just one verse here. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, the key for me here is who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. He was willing to pay that price. He gave himself up willingly and again he paid the price in full John three sixteen tells us clearly for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son he gave he gave so and by giving his son was killed on the cross at Calvary that's the ultimate price to pay so that price was paid in full so through the shedding of his blood we will be cleansed, we will be washed, we will be redeemed, we've been bought. You see, we've been blood bought, we've been cleansed, we've been redeemed, we've been set free. He set us free by his ability to redeem. So this is a likeness to what Boaz did. Now, you see, God did this in the past using Elimelech's clan. And use, so we had Elimelech's son marrying Ruth. Ruth marrying Boaz. And out of that union, we had Obed, we had Jesse. That's the line of Jesus. We had David. Then that's the line of Jesus. So you see, that same line, that what was done in the past, actually was replicated for all time through the lineage of Christ. For all time, it was done in the past. 
she was redeemed. That was an example he was setting. And that same line was used to redeem the whole of mankind for all time, forever and ever. So we see Christ does those things and he continues to do it. He starts it and it's interesting. He uses things that probably nobody would even think about or consider. The things that you think are nothing or the people that we consider to be nobodies, that, that, those are the very ones Christ goes for. Because you see, it's not about the capability or the ability of the one, but it's about his power through that person. So when he picks us up, he dusts us down. He washes us on the inside. He cleanses us, takes out all the gumph, all the rubbish, all of it. He takes it out, takes it out. Sometimes it's not instant because sometimes, oh, no, God, you can't go there. This is mine. You can take that bit. This is mine. But you see, he works on us. He continues to work on us until we are transformed. He transforms us, and then he can use us. He can use us, and he will use us to his glory. He will not share his glory with anyone, no one, no one, no one but himself. You see, he often works through those who have endured challenges, difficulties, things that we consider impossible and say in our natural mind, oh, it's not possible. They are not going to escape. They are not going to get out of this. Ah, there they are. Mm, I wonder how this is going to pan out. Okay, let's just pray for him or her. Mm, But this one, I don't know. See, but that's what God uses. He takes the impossible and makes those impossible situations possible. He turns them around. Those who, those who have endured tragic situations, difficulties, they're the ones God picks up. And he's willing to use any means to make sure that it's done. Ruth, who was Ruth? Ruth was a poor widow. That's what she was. She came from Moab. She wasn't even part of the Israelites. She came from Moab. Now, Christ chose to use her. And through her lineage, the Lord came to this world. Something that may have been despised. That's what God used. So we should not despise anything or anyone. Let's remember it's God. If God says yes, nobody can say no. If God says you, no one can say "Uh uh-uh. If God picks you up, nobody can put you down. If God decides to use you, Nobody can say, oh, no, not him, not her, because God has spoken. He has spoken. And when he speaks, it is settled. The matter is settled. And you see, Ruth became part of the lineage of David and through David, Christ. And we don't always have to understand the situation or even feel like, as Alan said this morning, this is why I said, thank you for that word. You see, we just have to. Look to God. Accept and rest in what he's done. He's done it already. Accept it and rest in it. Let's not try to strive to do our own thing, but just rest in what he's finished. He's redeemed us and he's set us free. If he set us free, then we are truly free indeed. If he says you're free, you're free. Nothing, nothing and no one. You see, because if God be for you, who can be against you? Nothing and no one else. All he says is we should remember to wait upon him. Because as we wait upon him, we will renew our strength. 
We will climb mountains. We will do all impossible things. But you see, we will do it not because of our own capability or in our own strength, but because we are relying on him, because we are looking up to him, because we are holding on to him. And it says, as we wait upon him, we will renew our strength. Impossible things become possible. We will climb up mountains. We will walk even when we are tired, when we can do no more, when we can't take even another step. We will still go because he is taking us through. He will strengthen us just as he strengthened Elijah by providing food for him. He will strengthen us and we will go. We will run even in our weaknesses and we will not faint. That is the God that we serve. And we can do all this because he's redeemed us. He's purchased us with his life, with his shed blood on the cross at Calvary. That is the ultimate price. And if he said that, we must just rest in it, accept it, confess it, believe it, walk in it, see it every day of our lives. And remember, continue to count our blessings wherever we turn. In every situation, yes, challenges will come. I'm not saying there will be no challenge. We face challenges all the time. But the key is, what are we looking at? Who are we looking at? That's what we need to do. We need to remember his word at all times. Yes, the challenge is there. I'm not saying denied. Oh, challenges, they come every day, thick and fast. Sometimes you wonder, where did that one come from? I didn't see that coming. But you see, you have to hope in the Lord. You have to hope in him, and he will make a way for us. Where there seems to be no way, he always makes a way. But you see, the key is we must continue to be tapped into him because it's not in our strength, it's not in our power. It says it's not by power nor by might, but by your spirit. As I close, I close with this. Remember that it's not in your own strength or power but by the Spirit of the Lord. And let's continue to surrender, yield unto him every day of our lives. If you don't remember anything at all, just remember that you surrender unto him at all times, and he will lead you and he will guide you every day, every waking moment. That is the God that we serve. He has redeemed us. That redemption was paid for with an, by an ultimate price, him laying down his life for us, his shed blood on the cross at Calvary, that blood, that blood, that blood reaches from every mountain. It touches every valley. It goes into places that other things can't reach. That blood, that blood, it delivers us. It sets us free. The blood, the blood that sets us free. The blood of Jesus.